Good morning. Hello. So, Pastor John is going to be on a vacation for the next few weeks. So, I am what you get. So, <laughs> uh, so um, if you're a visitor with us, thank you so much for coming. So, uh, hanging with us here. If you have any questions for us, just let us know. But we're so glad you're here. So um, we're going to start a new series. So the next three weeks, we're going to be talking a little bit about this word grace and what it means to our faith. But before we do that, so I know when, um, because English is my second language, one of the things that you learn when you're um, learning a second language is that you have to be familiar with some of the vocabulary. So one of the things that the teachers tell you is don't use the dictionary, but you have to learn frequently new words to gain in your vocabulary. If you notice that uh, when I first came here 20 years ago, so uh, my vocabulary was from like a, probably a fourth grader. So there's a lot of limits to the words I could use. But anyways, it's a, it's a never ending um, exercise for someone who comes from a different country. So we have a few people here who came from different countries that can relate to me. But anyways, one of the things that I like to do, and sometimes once in a while, is to exercise new words. And uh, Urban, Mix, uh, Urban Dictionary has some cool words that you can learn, and I find sometimes a little funny. You know, so we have a few words here for us, and I want to see if you guys are familiar with some of those words. So we're going to show the first one is phonesia. So... If you have any idea what Phoenicia is, uh, you know, at first I thought it was some kind of country, I don't know, Tunisia, you know, Phoenicia, I don't know, sound like a country. But this is actually words that I'm going to show you to you, new words from the last few years for the vocabulary of young people. So Phoenicia, anybody has an idea what a Phoenicia is? No? So let me show you what it is. So... Phonesia <laughs> is the act of dialing a phone number and forgetting who you are calling just as they answer. <laughs> I've done this before. So you dial, you're thinking about something else, and you, some, somebody else, and then you dial, and then you start talking on the phone, and you're like, I forgot who I call. You just had a case of phonesia. Right? So we have another word, and this comes very frequent in Halloween. So disconfect, anybody has any idea what that is? It's a new word, so let's show. Disconfect, the attempt to sterilize a piece of candy you dropped on the floor by blowing on it. <laughs> Most known as five second rules, right? So we have another word, blame storming. And corporation, this is a very familiar word. Okay, so let's show what the meaning is of this word. Oh, sitting in a group meeting, discussing who is responsible for the company's problems rather than trying to solve them. So we're doing a blame storming, right? So, okay, thank you. So those are new words, and often those new words when we learn, and I, at least it was for me, getting to know new words, and sometimes our kids in our house, they use words, they have no idea, and they just use words, and they're like, do you even know what that means? And we have to talk about it. But there's something about new words that catch our attention because are new, 
So it's fresh, right? We never heard before and become very fresh in our brains and force our brains to try to figure out and then you remember, right? But it's so hard, and I think you can see this, it's so hard when we have some words, familiar words, and we have a tendency to overlook them. And then we put on the shelf, and then when we hear those old words, sometimes we don't even think about the meaning of them. Because he heard those words so many times, and he, loses, and he definitely loses the meaning. Because he overlooked them so many times, and then you just don't think about it. Right? It's hard when we do this. So, and here's the thing. Uh, as we're doing this, my challenge for us is to look at a word that is very familiar to us. But we want to have a fresh look into it. So that happens quite often at Christmas. Because Christmas stories we hear all the time. It's every year we're going to hear the same story. But it's so easy for us to get into a default mode. There's something that's called default network mode. If you don't know what that is, it's when part of your brain turns off and you're doing a very familiar activity, like, let's say, driving to work. How many times have you done that? You're driving to work and you do this every, every day and all of a sudden you got to work and I'm like, so how many red lights I crossed? How many people I hit along the way? Uh, you know, because your brain gets into this default network mode. So the same idea with words and stories that we hear over and over and over. So for this challenge for us, this is the challenge for us, as we're hearing this new study on grace, that the goal is to help you to experience grace, because here's what's going to happen. You're gonna, your brain's going to try to define it. And that's okay, but we have the something about grace that we, if we define it, and if we study, and if we trying to figure out the meaning of the word, often it loses its meaning. Because a word like grace is to be experienced. And often we, lose the, uh, we lost the meaning along the way. We lose the meanings of words, especially a word so beautiful like grace. And my challenge for you guys, and for me too, is that we experience grace. That way we can understand. We can understand. Here's what it says in Hebrews 12, verse 15. Look after each other so that no one of you fails to receive the grace of God. No one. And that's the prayer in the next three weeks that no one. If there's a lot of things that you miss out in church, there's one thing that we should not miss, which is grace, the grace of God. We should not lose the experience of that word. And that's the challenge for us. Because I think about this, if you come to church and you miss the idea of what grace really means, that'll be a tragedy. Because everything that involves the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has to do with the grace upon us. And that's what differentiates between Christianity and other religions, is the grace of God. And it's what God has done for us and not what we're doing to God. And the reality for us, as we talk about this week, you know, you're going to think about that Sunday school class that you have that has a definition of grace and all that. Those things are good. They're great. 
But my challenge, again, is for you to experience that. Next two weeks, that we understand and we experience the power of grace. As if it was a new, new word, new meaning to us. As if it was the first time that you hear the word grace. And that's my prayer for you. And there's something about grace that the only way we can understand and appreciate is to understand first your need for grace. We can't talk about grace unless we talk about first for you to understand the need. If you don't know the need, grace won't make sense until you realize that you need grace. So the Bible talks about the state condition of us, like our state, our condition of being sinful and the need for grace. It's a very known passage in Romans 3, chapter 3, verse 23. says this, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. Or fall short of glory of glory of God or His grace. We memorized that verse, didn't we? Didn't we? Didn't we memorize those verses? We know very well. But oftentimes what we do when we read a verse like that is the same thing, right? If you hear over and over, it loses its meaning. Because it says that everyone has sin. But the tendency that we have often is to think about, we by comparison, we do this game very well. By comparison, we feel like, well, I sin, but you know what? It's not that bad. It's not like my neighbor. It's not like that guy that works with me. So then we have this idea of self-righteousness that we're not that bad. But the Bible is very clear that we all sin against God. We all fall short. We all fall short. Because everyone means everyone. Everyone. We all sin. But often we live in this kind of a denial of our state and I do that very often. We're very good about denying the things deny, and living in denial of things that we do wrong. So uh, a couple months ago, I went to Brazil and, uh, and on a trip, you know, I'm not very into soda, but I was in, a, in Brazil. We had this Fanta that was passion fruit. Passion fruit is a very common um, um, fruit in Brazil. So I got a few of those. I was like, man, this is delicious. So I got to take it home for the kids to try. So I put on my bag, and, and then we brought it to Brazil. I bought like six cans of uh, Fanta passion fruit for my kids to try and for us to try. So I put it in the refrigerator, and, and I told the kids, it's like an special occasion. We're all going to try. You know, I mean, it's not a lot, so we just got to try. So, and then one day I come, you know, I was refereeing college soccer, and I came home. It was just feel like a Fanta. And the kids are all in bed. You know, and I just kind of open up. It makes a bunch of noise, and I was trying to be sneaky about it. So then I start drinking and just enjoying this. And then I say, hey, Casey, you want it? My wife was like, do you want to try? This is delicious. She tries. Like, mm, you know. So I drink it, and then I went upstairs, and my kids, they all sleep upstairs. And I, after I drink it, you know, I was not thinking. And I throw in the garbage where they usually change on the bathroom. So I go to work, and... Next day, I come from work. All the kids are sitting at the table, and there is a Fanta <laughs> on the table, 
waiting for me. And, and I felt like I was in some kind of a trial. You know, as you come in, and then they, uh, they didn't say that, but I almost felt like in my brain, it's like, Dad, have a seat. We need to talk. What is this? You know, so I felt like I owned them explanation, and I was, to be honest, I was very defensive about it. I was like, come on, guys, you know, give me a break. And I started talking about it. I was like, but you told us. You told us. And I was a little bit fighting with them, and then and just the Fanta's empty can was just sitting right on the table to remind me of my sin. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, guys, too far. So we went, and I grabbed all of the Fanta. We had a visitor. We had someone from, from church actually at home, one of the kids, and then they all try, and they were like, hey, okay. So they did not throw away that can. They put it in their room, and every time I fail or I try to say something, they just show me it's a trophy of my sinful nature. Remind me how awful I am. But we laugh about it. And, but to show you that a simple thing as a Fanta, right? I live in denial about so many small things and how much more the big things. We have a tendency to cover it and compare it and do this little game that we are not that bad. But in reality is we all fall short. We all fall short. So grace means nothing if you don't admit that we sin against God. That we sin against God and we are desperately in need of him. And the Bible describes sin as this disease that you were born with. So in our house we have this thing, it's a big uh, butter knife and it's huge. And we call it the big spreader. And we kind of joke around because for some reason in our house, I don't know if your house is like that, we're always trying to figure out who's the big spreader when someone is sick. And we show that and say, hey, who's the big spreader? How, how this got in our house? How this cold got in our house? How this uh, flu got in our house? We're always trying to figure out who's the first one, the, the patient zero, to bring this disease into our to our home, and then we talk about it and nonstop, and said, okay, it was Charlotte or whoever, and then brought from school, and then, you know, we played this little game about figuring out who brought this disease. And the Bible describes sin as this disease that originated through Adam. He was the patient number one, the biggest spreader. It says in Romans 5:12, this when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death is spread to everyone, here again, not just to few, not to the worst, to everyone, for everyone sinned. He all started with Adam. And because that, we are condemned to death. Because that disease. The Bible says that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, the first thing they did was hiding from God. And it's the same idea when we sin against God, we hide when we realize what we've done and something so bad, we hide. But here's the beauty of it. If you read in the beginning in Genesis, God, this is the personality of God. Very different than us. Because when Adam and Eve, they sin against God and they're hiding, God seek them out and give them a promise. Yes, they got punished by their sin. We got punished because of their sin. But there is a promise that goes with and that promise we introduce to grace. We introduce to grace. It says this, 
But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. What is that? For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater. Here's the two things. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, hey, here's the thing, guys. Sin is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. It's great. It's so big. But grace is greater. Greater. So it's kind of what Paul is using is the fourth grade mathematical equation of less and greater. Uh, I'm not very good at math, but I know that is fourth grader, I remember that, and then after that, I don't remember anything of math. But this idea that Paul is using a fourth grader equation to say grace is greater than anything, and you can fill the blank. You can fill the blank. Whatever you want to put on the side of this equation, grace is always greater. Whatever happened in your past, Grace is greater. Whatever mistakes happen on your past, whatever mistakes happen to you, whatever sin is hidden, grace is greater. Whatever season in your life that you lived, that you still feel that guilt, that brokenness that you still carry on because that sin, grace is greater. Is greater. And grace, we're introduced to this equation that we'll talk about next few weeks. Grace is greater than sin. Our state of sinful nature. It's crucial for all of us to understand that grace is greater than anything else in our lives. No matter what you've done, grace is always greater. You know, you talk to people and often... And invite them to come to church. You know, they say, they say, you know, you have no idea. The minute that I walk in your church, the roofs of the church is going to collapse on me. Because all what I have done. And I say, no, grace is greater. Greater than your past. Greater than your sin. Grace is always greater. It's crucial for us. If there's anything in church that we miss, don't miss that. Don't miss that. That grace is greater than sin. It's greater than our mistake. And again, you can fill the blank. Romans 5, verse 16 to 18 says this. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. He's talking about Adam. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift which is grace, leads us to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. He's not denying that we sin. He's not denying that we sin a lot, but grace is greater. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace 
and his gift a righteousness. For all who receive it, we will live in triumph over sin and death. Through this one man, Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, grace is greater than sin. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. He repeats himself. He's not denying the fact that we are sinning against God, that we sin against God. But Christ, one act of righteousness, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. In one hand, he's saying, we all sin against God. But then he's saying, for those who accept it, we have new life in Christ through the grace of God. Not because we're nice. Not because we keep all the commandments. We can't do that. But because his grace, because he's worked on the cross for us. And don't miss that. Grace is greater than anything you've done. It gives you hope for a new start, a new life for everyone. The same way that sin came and everyone is condemned to sin because Christ's death on the cross, it started off with the promise for Adam. And we inherit in that promise that the Son of Man or Jesus would come to save us from that condemnation through his grace, through his death. And that means you and me, no matter what we've done, grace is greater. And here's the thing that happened very often in church. I experienced that growing up. When we take grace out of the equation, when we take grace out of the equation, do you know what we're left? When we take grace out of the church, you know what we're left with? Religion. Religion. And I don't like that. And I don't think the Bible likes that either. If you read in Matthew 23, Jesus is so harsh. I would not even be able to say some of the things he said about religious leaders. But he was harsh with them. He showed no grace to them. Because they're taking out of the equation the power of grace. And religion is very bad. Religion is no greater than our sin. It won't save us. It doesn't work. And if we continue living in religion and just trying to get God's approval by what we do, we started to get into legalism, which is even worse because at that point you feel like, okay, I can do this. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. And you're saving all Everything about your faith is what you do. And then you started to add things that are not even biblical. Not even a marge of biblical ideas. It's an agenda that you carry on. And then all of a sudden, you have all this uh, legalism created by man to try to reach God's approval. And here's how we define religion. Religion is our attempt to earn God's favor by adhering to rules and regulations. If I come to church, if I give my money, I'm getting God's approval. Those things are good. You know, in James, it talks about our acts of faith. What we do proves to the world and to ourselves that we are believers, but that is not what saves you. That is not what gets God's approval. 
Religion is very dangerous because it, measure, it measures spirituality based upon what you do, and that's a sin. Self-righteousness is sin. It's not about what you've done. It's about what God has done for you. It's the idea that if I'm good enough, my good deeds and my acts of service, you'll be enough to cover sin, but it's not. Sin is greater than religion. Religion is less than sin. It won't save you. You know, in our house, we, we have one of the girls that are talking about, and she's so young, you know, and she's talking about, Dad, explain to me grace. And that's kind of how he, he sparked that idea to talk church. And, and, and even for me, it was a good exercise for me. to. She wants a definition, a very clear definition about grace. And we went back and forth, and she's like, I just can't understand. I need to do something. And that's her nature, right? She wants to do something to get that approval. And we're like, no, that's not about what you've done. But it's so hard for her to understand. And for someone who come up here, especially someone who speak in public, to explain to you in details what grace means, it's really hard. But it's because grace is meant to be experienced. As I was studying this, and I was dissecting the word grace and doing so much study about it and I, and I felt like I was killing grace studying grace is good when you study the word and do all those things but if you don't experience it it started to lose the meaning so I came across these two books that has been inspiration for me uh, one is called Grace is Greater by uh, Kyle Eidemann and also a book by Max Lucado said God never gives up on grace. Those are two great books. And the idea here is to experience through a narrative, through your story. Because if I ask you, if you come up here and you share your story, you're going to talk about how grace reached you where you were and still doing that. So a lot of, a lot of times we do that. I remember when I was in seminary, we have a word uh, justification that we have to do a lot of study on it. And I remember by the end of the class, I cannot even remember anymore what justification meant. I'm not saying to not study words, but oftentimes we get into the intellectual ideas of how to study words and make it uh, our relationship with God about intellectual uh, knowledge, and then we lose heart. And that's the idea of coming to grace, especially in the Bible. We found that it's taught through stories through narrative and and then if you see that there's a rule interpretation of the bible text that sometimes if the word is not there it implies into the story through through narrative and you're going to see that through the gospel so one thing it's very interesting that jesus never used the word grace never used the word grace paul i think he uses the word grace about a hundred times but Jesus never used the word grace. But you see story after story after story after story that is implied the idea of grace. What does it tell me? Is that grace isn't a narrative. Grace is to be experienced through your life, through what Christ has done for you through the times where you're suffering and have no idea what to do and he showed grace to you and times where you feel like I have no place to go and God showed grace to you and rescue. As we see Jesus interacting with people in the Bible, we see that those stories 
over and over. And there is a particular story that I really like to share with you. is in John chapter 8. It's the story of grace. It's a story of a woman who was caught in adultery. And I want you to read the story as if it was the first time you read it. Don't lose the meaning. Don't lose what's going on here. Here's what says John chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crown soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. So there's a lot of people. So he came early in the morning. We don't know. It's probably, I mean, if you think about it, he came early in the morning. And when they say early in the morning, it was very early in the morning because they would see as the sun will go up. So probably like five, six in the morning. And there's a huge crowd of people gathering and just kind of pushing around to hear Jesus talking in the temple. Imagine if this is the temple and there's a ton of people at five in the morning trying to hear Jesus. And here's what happened. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? What do you say? Now, imagine this happening happening in here. This woman was caught in the act, and the religious people, they demand an answer from Jesus. These guys, they care less for her. They have no idea. There is no compassion at all, no grace. That was not their concern. They didn't care for her. All they knew is, we're going to trap Jesus, and we're going to use her. It's easy to miss Put yourself on a woman's shoes as she was brought into this group of people gathered in the temple. Because it says she was caught in the act, probably she had no clothes on. She was caught in the act. Was brought into shame, surrounded by people. This is the worst day of her life. And the law of Moses, the law of Moses would tell to stone her. Now we know they're trying to trap Jesus because, number one, where is the man? Because the law of Moses says the man should be supposed to be there too. He was not there. Who knows what the Pharisees did to get that woman there? They're not interested on this man. But we know she was brought into public shame, ashamed, Probably her sin or many sins was exposed in that moment. And she was about to die because that. So much is going on in there. I don't know about you, but last night, you know, as a, I was thinking about coming up here, I had this crazy nightmare. That, and I have that quite often. It happened that on my wedding day. That I was coming here because I was afraid of forgetting something. That I was going to come up here. And I'll forget to put my pants on. So I imagine that would be very embarrassing. But I can't imagine for this woman, who is the reality of her life, is literally being exposed in front of so many people. 
so many people. She was caught in the act. But here's why they were trying to trap Jesus. Because if Jesus said, yes, go ahead and, tra- and stone that woman, they will go to the Roman Empire. Because you have to remember that people of Israel, they're under the oppression of the Roman Empire. So they will be breaking a, a, a law if they stone her. So if Jesus said stone her, they will go to the Roman Empire and said, this guy is asking us to break your law. Because Roman Empire were the only ones that could kill someone, that could judge someone and kill someone at that time. But if Jesus said, no, let her go, then they would go to other religious leaders and they say, hey, he's breaking the law of Moses. He's telling this woman who's caught in adultery to go. Now, can you imagine this happening? Jesus knew they were trying to use this woman. Here's what says, verse 6 to 9. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stood down and wrote in the dust with his finger. We don't know what he's writing there. Some people say it's not biblical. Some people say they're pointing out the sins. Jesus was pointing out the sins of each one who was trying to stone her. It's a good theory. They kept demanding an answer. No compassion, no grace. So he stood up against and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And remember, we talked in the beginning, we all sin against God. We have no right to judge anybody. Then he stood up again and wrote in the dust. When accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus were left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Everyone is guilty of sin. And Jesus makes this point. You have no right to be judging this woman. And we're introduced to the sovereignty of God in showing the world without using the word, but in the action of grace to this woman. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. It's very important that Jesus knew exactly what this woman had done. In fact, he knew her even before she was born. Everything that she would do. It's not like he was trying to make up his mind about her. He knew exactly what she has done. He knew her before her birth. And here's what it says. Verse 11. No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Neither do I go and sin no more. Jesus is not ignoring her sin because he tells her, go and sin no more. But one thing that we miss very often is the first part of the verse. Neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Don't miss that. There's one man that was left behind. All the accusers, 
they left. Everyone sinned. Because he said, if you do not have sin, be the first one to throw the stone. None of them are left. But there's one man, one man that could stone her. One man with no sin. And it was Jesus Christ. And he chose grace. He never stoned her. He stand his hands and show her grace. I imagine that there's, I imagine the face of Jesus as he is reaching out to this woman with eyes of no condemnation. There's so much compassion. So much compassion. You got to remember, she was caught in the act a few minutes ago. She was a sinful woman. She deserves to die. She was pulled from a bed, guilty of charge. Her darkest secret was exposed. This is the worst day of her life, but also the best day of her life. In her brokenness, she finds grace through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Don't miss that. In our brokenness, the sin that's hidden, our past, we have Jesus through the death on the cross showing grace. He chooses grace. He chooses grace. There's no condemnation through Jesus Christ. This is the worst day. And a lot of us, we experience this. The worst day of your life could also be the best day of your life. There's something that we learn about this woman. And I hope that you learn as well that grace is greater than our mistakes. That grace is greater than our past. There are hidden sin. Neither do I condemn you. Those are the words as chosen by Jesus. You know, it's hard. Oftentimes we have experience with people and we think God is that way. Maybe in your past. Maybe with your father. Maybe with someone in your family. You experience something that if there's no way, there's grace, there's no way that God can forgive you, forgive me. Maybe today you feel your sin is too big for, to be forgiven. Maybe, maybe there's something in your past that if there's no way if this gets exposed that God's going to forgive me. And look at the story of this woman. He chose grace. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, But God show or demonstrate his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we're still sinners. While we're still sinners. You don't have to clean up. You know what a religion, religious, religion says? In order for you to come to Christ, you have to clean up your life. That's a lie. That's a lie. You don't have to clean up before you come to Christ. Come to Christ first, and he'll clean you up. 
neither do I condemn you. What Christ has done for you is grace. It's not what you've done. Come to him. I beg you. Don't keep from coming to Christ because your sin or something that it has in your past or a hidden sin. Come to him the way you are. He extended his hands, a graceful hand. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you. We humble before you. There's so much in our lives and we, we are not good people. We think we are at times, but we break the law all the time. And for that reason, we rely totally on your grace. And you loved us so much that you're willing to die on the cross for our sins. And I pray in the name of Jesus, if there will be someone here today that haven't yet made a decision to follow Christ, because whatever reason, you're here to tell us that grace is greater. It's greater than anything. And I pray in the name of Jesus that allow us to experience, help us to experience the pure meaning of grace. We give everything to you in Jesus' name. Amen.